What's most important in becoming a church, planting church, is having leadership that's committed. The rank and file of a local church is not necessarily involved in the, in the decision-making process uh, and are not necessarily involved uh, in going. It might not be their community, it might not be their, their neighborhood where we're planting, but they have to be supportive of it spiritually. Welcome to this episode of Church Pivot, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Today, Case Thorpe has a conversation with church planting expert and EPC pastor, the Reverend Tom Ricks. They discuss today's church, the challenges she is facing, and the opportunities that wait just around the corner. If you're going to get involved in that type of um, that type of endeavor, you better make sure you're pretty serious about loving your enemies because people will come after you. What is the church's future? How might she pivot, keeping one foot firmly planted in the truth and another always reforming towards the best methodologies in order to make the shot to spread the gospel? Well, today we find out on this edition of Church Pivot. Hello friends, Uh, it's Case Thorpe here again, and it's my joy to serve this year our collection of churches as the EPC moderator. Now, I'm going to keep my introductory remarks a bit shorter today so we can spend some more time with our special guest, the Reverend Dr. Tom Ricks. Yet, I do want to share uh, just one issue that I just see seems to be lurking uh, behind a number of different EPC conversations. And that has to do with this question. What does it mean to be connectional? Now, it seems to me we use that word in a lot of ways and a lot of different ways. Now, we're very proud of it as Presbyterians. I mean, we mark that as one of our distinctives. And we aren't Baptists with congregational structures. No, that's way too much freedom, a lack of accountability. As well, you know, it's hard to get missional momentum up and running together as one. But neither are we a hierarchical or Episcopal system. No, we don't like vesting that much power in one person. And we see in Scripture examples of mutual accountability. So we use this word connectional a lot, connectionalism. And I, I get it. I mean, guided by our doctrine of sin, that as individuals, we will most likely make choices to benefit ourselves rather than community. And as we see it worked out in Scripture in the early church, our connectional system, we we find in Acts, and it gives us the beauty of of communal discernment, uh, communal accountability, a joint mission that is united but with room for leadership and influence, as well as a a theology that unites and clarifies and, and binds us together in so many ways. But more and more, I think that we're all, not maybe all, but a lot of us are using different understandings for that word, connectionalism. I see generational differences uh, with that definition between Gen Xers and millennials, even boomers. I see different parts of the country understanding that word differently. And this has expressed itself in my circles that I've gotten to experience in two particular ways with some conversations right now. On the one hand, Presbyterian vitality 
And on the other, creating an EPC culture of generosity. Now, in terms of presbytery vitality, some I've seen in my travels are super strong, some not, not so strong, and a lot in the middle, trying to do better in different ways, trying to get a deeper sense of connectionalism. I'm, I'm proud that my presbytery of Florida and the Caribbean, we held our first retreat, and it was a chance just to improve relationships and not make things just about business. It was great. Um, I had a friend the other day that I was speaking with, a, a respected PCA pastor, a good buddy of mine, and um, I said, what to you is the difference in a network and a denomination? He thought for a minute. He said, well, you know, Case, I think a network is where you find common missional interests and relationships, but I think like a denomination is kind of where you get your polity and your doctrine. And I thought that was a great way to kind of distinguish the way in which those two words and those two experiences we have work. I have my presbytery life, and then I have different networks of ministry that that I involve myself in. Well, then I had this crazy idea. (laughs) I mean, could those two forms, could those two visions actually merge? Could, Could our presbyteries be more than just doctrine and polity, but even networks, networks of common missional Interest. Now, I hear uh, Gen Xer and millennial voices saying yes, and certainly that today we will hear a lot about as our church planting network has been so successful. The other way I hear it ha- uh, occurring is in this conversation the General Assembly uh, asked of the Generosity Culture Subcommittee or the Generosity uh, Study Committee, and how do we fund the GA? Uh, it's pretty tough to learn that one-third of our churches do not pay anything into per member asking. So it makes you wonder, well, what's their definition of connectionalism? One millennial said to me, ha, the PCUSA was there for you when, I'm sorry, the EPC was there for you when you came out of the USA, and um, where is your connectionalism now? Uh, 30% don't buy into our health program, and yet it's required. So it's just an issue that I think lurks behind the scenes, and I I want us to talk more. What do we mean by connectionalism? What does Scripture have to say about it? What does the Westminster Confession have to say about it? I don't have the final answer, but I know we need to talk about it. Well, now it's my joy to uh, have here my friend and cigar buddy, church (laughs) planter extraordinaire. Tom Ricks is my guest on Church Pivot. Tom, welcome. Thanks, Case. It's great to be here, even uh, though we don't have cigars well, yet. yet. You know, we could <laughs> stop recording and go grab them just down the street. Don't tempt me. Um, Tom's passion, as I read on his website, is creating pathways to share the gospel. I want to hear some more about that. And he's done that in a number of ways across his career. Now serving as a senior pastor at Green Tree Church. And it's how, year, how many years old? Uh, Green Tree was started with a group in prayer in uh, the Pence's basement in 1997. Okay. We became a localized congregation in, in uh, 2000. And you've planted how many churches out of Green Tree over the years? We've planted five directly, and we've invested mm-hmm. in a couple that weren't in St. Louis, but we wow. invested heavily financially in those. So. Praise the Lord. He is a graduate twice over from Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. Correct. For his MDiv and DMIN. And he is the team leader, right, right term, for our Correct. EPC church planting team. Uh, he's the husband of one, Sandy, 
the father. Cindy. Cindy. Yes. Oh, well, just in case she's listening. Yeah. No, no. So sorry, Cindy. <laughs> you want to get that one right. Uh, he's the father of three, Nate, Katie, and Jordan. Yep. And as I have discovered in a number of meetings with him, a huge fan of the St. Louis Blues. Absolutely. And for those of Let's you that go don't blues. know, like me, um, that's a hockey team. <laughs> yeah. For our southern brothers and sisters oh. that, that may not be paying attention. You know, I have never played hockey. Surprise, surprise. There, most people have never played hockey, Case. So. I have gone to a game, though. It's pretty fun. To, Did you go to Tampa? Because I know you're no, here in Florida. No, no, I went to the, the Orlando Solar Bears. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. The, the, so the, that takes a lot of commitment because that's not the greatest hockey in the world. It takes a lot of dentures for those boys to eat, <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, if we could, you know, I've ha- I have Tom here today because I'm interested in church planning. I am grateful for the sort of connectionalism he and the other church planters embody. So, Tom, give us just a little biography for on you, where you come from, your journey in ministry, sure. and how you got to here today. Yes, and thank you for having me. I'm honored that you would uh, allow me to spend some time with you like this. Uh, I'm a boomer, born in 59. Okay, I'm born in 59. I, I came into existence the same year Alaska and Hawaii became states, ah, so cool. there you go. Uh, born and raised in St. Louis, I have the, have the unique opportunity of being a pastor in my hometown. When we planted Green Tree, I was coming back home. So I'll, we'll talk maybe more about that later. Uh, but grew up there, went to Covenant College uh, in the in the 70s, graduated in 81. On Lookout Mountain. On Lookout Mountain, okay. yep. And then, uh, so I grew up in a home where my mom was a Christian. My dad was not, uh, but mom made sure we were in church every week. And we, so we went to a church that is now affiliated with the PCA, Covenant Church in St. Louis. That's where I met the Lord, grew up. Uh, as a believer, you know, went through the high school, college years, but always had that firm foundation mm-hmm. and uh, didn't plan on going into ministry, but ended up the Lord took me that direction. So I have uh, three different church experiences. I worked at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church okay. after graduation. I worked as their student ministry director, and that's where I met Sandy Wilson. Ah, Sandy was not the, Cindy, not Ricks, Cindy Ricks, but, but Sandy, Sandy Wilson. No, Wilson. I met Cindy in high school back uh, in St. Louis. Uh, Sandy was the guy that got me to go to seminary. He said, you ought to, you know, kind of look at ministry long-term. So, so he was the pastor at that time. He was the uh, second pastor. The first pastor I worked for was Pastor George Long. Okay. Dr. Long retired about halfway through my 10 years at Lookout. Sandy came in. So I had about five years with okay. Sandy. Uh, left there, went back to St. Louis, uh, got a chance to go to Covenant Seminary while I was working at our EPC church there, Central Presbyterian Church. Uh, where you had gone as a child? No, no I went to Covenant, yeah. Got it, got it. Yep. Uh, worked for Andy Jumper, mm-hmm. uh, one of the founding fathers of the EPC, yes. for about two years before Dr. Jumper retired. Okay. Uh, finished my seminary education, stayed on staff at Central for about another two and a half, almost three years, mm-hmm. and then uh, had the opportunity to plant Green Tree Community Church in Kirkwood. So I've been at Green Tree now for 20, about 21 plus years. 21 years. Yeah. Now you grew up there. I did. And now being back there, my goodness, and raising your children there. Yes. Are, uh, parents 
there? Both parents have passed away. Uh, okay. Mom just passed away last uh, last July, okay. and we uh, we just sold her home, and they are they're going to build a new home there. But uh, we built a house on my paternal grandmother's property. Oh wow! Where, where I visited my grandma when I was growing up. So That's we've had somebody on our street for over a hundred years. Oh my goodness! Which is really crazy. That just doesn't happen anymore. No. Yeah. Now. Um, your wife, I imagine her family's also in the area. They're actually from Colorado Springs. Okay. So she, uh, her family, part her part of the family moved to St. Louis when she was in junior high school. And she and I met at a church camp mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. a dishwasher at the camp mm-hmm. and she was like the head counselor at the camp. And did, did nothing's she... changed since then. <laughs> I, I'm still the dishwasher and she, she's the brains of the outfit. Tom, I have to ask, did, did you kiss her at church camp? I wanted to, but I, <laughs> I kissed her at the reunion after church camp. Oh, okay. Yes. I okay. thought, I, I have always said we were 16 when we met. She said we were 15. So. Okay. okay. Now, your three kids, are they yes. nearby? They are not. Oh. Uh, our youngest one, Jordan, he lives and works in Kansas City, and he's single. He's uh, got a nice career going there. Our oldest son, we have uh, a boy, girl, boy. The oldest, Nathan, lives in Orange County, California, okay. and they have four kids. Ooh. And then our daughter, Katie, and our son-in-law, Richard, and their two children live in Honolulu, Hawaii. Okay. So I'm going to go plant a church there. Okay. <laughs> yes. Became a state in 1959. So yeah. do they have kids? They have two children, so little girl and little boy. Six grandkids. You love being a grandma. I do love being a granddad. Yeah. And I am, I'm at a safe distance to be a granddad. I just send money and they, <laughs> they, they love me. They they draw pictures of me and send it back okay. with dollar bills in their hands. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, before we get to church planning, just because I have such an interest in investment in faith, work and economics yeah. and the public square, I'm really taken with the fact that you recently ran for school board. I did unsuccessfully, but I ran. Mm. Well, because it didn't work out even more lessons, I imagine. God's taught you through that. Could you just share what got you interested in that and what it was like? Well, my wife is an educator and she has spent her entire life uh, in education in one facet or another. And the community in which uh, we live, Kirkwood, is a kind of a bedroom community and uh, has a reputation for having great schools. Mm. Uh, about, about four years ago, we were ranked the number one high school in the state and, wow. and number three overall. And uh, and yet I felt and, and others felt that our school board leadership was struggling a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, good people, rock solid folks, but not necessarily collectively doing a great job. So uh, talking, praying, uh, thinking it through, uh, they had several folks recruit me pretty strong. Why don't you give this a, a whirl? Mm-hmm. And so I've never never run for election for anything in my life. Wow. I've always been very careful as a pastor. I don't bring politics yeah. into the pulpit. In fact, during my election, I never once mentioned it mm. from up front. Did uh, you talk to your elders about it before I d- doing it? I did. Uh, they were supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, were... Um, I don't know if they all voted for me or not because I didn't ask them, but they, <laughs> they, they definitely understand my philosophy of ministry that would lead me to do something like this, which is mm. believers need to be engaged mm. in their community. We, we want uh, Kirkwood to be a better city for Green Tree being there. You know, Keller said that way sure. back sure. Uh, that they wanted uh, Manhattan to be a better place mm-hmm. because Redeemer was there. And I thought that was absolutely right. 
And so uh, in that context, I decided to run for school board. Now, I imagine not every congregant was thrilled for this choice? Uh, I, I didn't get a lot of pushback. Uh, I had a couple people, you know, kind of wondering why I would do that to myself. <laughs> right. But, uh, if, you know, I've, I've been there for 17, 18 years. I have a lot of goodwill with my congregation. And so I think people, even if they thought I was a little loopy, probably just mm. kind of, you know, smiled and went on their way. <laughs> hey, that's kind of what we do when Tom shows up, smile and... <laughs> But it, it didn't work out. It did not, no. Uh, we lost that election, and that's okay. Uh, although I don't, I don't like losing. Mm. Uh, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, I trust that, that God's will is done and that in his providence that that's what, what he had for me was that experience and, and not the experience of serving. And, and that's okay. What's a big takeaway from it? Would you do it again? Why or why not? Uh, would I do that run for that particular office? I'm not sure, but would I would I do something like that again if I felt that I should? Absolutely. Yeah. My big takeaway was um, if you're going to get involved in that type of um, that type of endeavor, you better make sure you're pretty serious about loving your enemies mm -hmm. because people will come after you. We do not live in a kind age. Not that the world has ever had a kind age, but we certainly don't yeah. live in a kind age. And, and I was a bit taken back with uh, the social media folks I'd never met in my life uh, who were saying things about me that, that were unequivocally untrue, uh, but they had uh, uh, an agenda and a plan in mind, and so they were pursuing that. And uh, I'm thankful that we live in a country that allows that. Uh, but that part of it was a bit of a surprise after I understood it and got used to it, because uh, it was about a two month, two and a half month process. Uh, it, it's kind of like you get the wind knocked out of your sails and then you kind of you know, collect yourself and, and get moving again. And mm -hmm. so I really had to make a, a serious commitment to pray for the people who were coming after me uh, and, and ask God to bless them and mm -hmm. ask God to reveal himself to them if they didn't know him. And so that was a, that was a good lesson for me because in the United States, we, we don't love our enemies. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we, the church can't even love their enemies. We, we can't even get along with one another. Uh, and it's, it's wrong. It's, it's very sad. So that was a good lesson for me. Well, thank you for putting yourself out there. Sure. <laughs> now, about church planning. Yes, let's talk about something fun. Take us back to you at Central Prez and the call, the process for deciding to do Green Tree. Well, that actually, I think, is birthed out of both Lookout Mountain and Central. Mm. Lookout Mountain was very much a community church. Didn't really have a lot of outreach. Central has people coming in from all over St. Louis, Southern Illinois. I mean, you could go 20 miles in any direction mm. and people are driving into Central. Had a regional impact but no community. And I wanted both of those. And so when folks uh, started talking about church planting and I went to Covenant Seminary and, and the professor there, Phil Douglas, who's one of the fathers of PCA church planting, mm -hmm. was very instrumental in my life in, in encouraging me to consider church planting. But so I you wanted- you have been thinking on it since seminary. Yeah, I would definitely was thinking about it okay. in seminary. And I, I wanted to be a community church, but I wanted to be a community church that had a regional impact. Mm. So. Mm. So did um, you come up with the idea 
Did elders develop this out of a strategic plan? So we said from the outset, our leadership team, before we even had elders, just the, the launch team of Green Trees, we were thinking about no, our I mean, bylaws. Back to Central. Oh, I'm sorry. It, tell me at Central how they, y'all, formed a vision for planting Green Tree. Well, Green Tree is a Presbytery church plant. Ah. It was not a church plant out of Central. Okay. So there were folks that came from Central, Got but it. there were also some folks that came from couple of, of other churches the, what they had in common was they all lived in Kirkwood okay. and that was a community you know, they were they were all leaving and going to church somewhere else and they were saying how do you invite your friends when you say hey we live over here but drive eight miles mm -hmm. with us to go to church over there we need something in our neighborhood so the presbytery puts this together and you apply and the search committee figures you're the one yes okay yep and um, tell me how y'all started uh, well, we started, as I said, in the Pence's basement with, with some prayer time as a family that was an original family who's actually still with us, mm. and uh, started with about uh, 20 adults and about 30 kids. We've always had as many kids or more kids than we've had yeah. adults from day one, and Amen. that's still true today. Uh, but we wanted to be a community church in Kirkwood. We wanted to be a church that shared the gospel. We wanted to be a reformed church. Uh, but we wanted to be a community church that then immediately from the very beginning, from the very foundation, would be a church planting church. Okay. So our very first church plant, I'll tell you that uh, story if briefly, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, have, uh, we, had, we had decided we were going to be a, a, a church planting church. We were about two years old. We had a total of $120,000 in the bank for everything. Um, for, that was the, the whole shooting match. We had an interest in planting a church in Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri is. Oh, of, how far away? It's 90 miles. Okay. The knock on Columbia has always been that there hasn't a good church, good reformed church for college kids. Mm. I knew the Campus Crusade ministry director, it's now called Crew, guy had been there 20 years named Dave Cover. I said, Dave, why don't you plant a church? Why don't you leave staff and plant a church in Columbia? Because you're, you know, you've been here for 20 years. And he said, well, we don't. We don't have any money. I'd love to do that. So I went back to our elders, five of us, wow. and uh, we we had a lively conversation. <laughs> More so than about school board. And at the end of that lively conversation, we gave away $100,000 of our $120,000 to plant the crossing in Columbia. And that wasn't even in our neighborhood. That was down the street. But we did it because so many St. Louis kids go there. There wasn't a, a, a good Reformed church mm. in Columbia at the time. And I think... God used that to show us that we, we were going in the right direction and we should keep going. Sure. And so you did that two years into Green Tree. Yes. But did I hear you say from the very beginning of Green Tree? It was it in was our a, core values. It was stated yeah. and people knew yes. we're headed in that direction. Three simple statements, grow disciples, renew communities, plant churches. And do you um, now advise other church plants to do the same? We do not plant churches out of Green Tree that will not become multiplying churches. Ah, sure. So sure. We, we want them to be involved in church planting. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, and we've developed over the years. I mean, I could, so many things we didn't know when we started, mm -hmm. but one of the things that we've started doing is saying, we want you to allocate a certain amount of your funds starting from day one. Yep. Maybe it's only one or 2%. Yep. You, maybe you can't give very much. But put it in your budget. Make it part of who you are from the very beginning. So and you define that connectionalism absolutely, from the start. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Alan Hirsch, mm -hmm. missiologist from Australia, right. 
is a favorite of mine. And he really got my attention in one of his works where he suggests that a mark of the church shouldn't be the traditional reformed marks, but that uh, a fourth should be added being um, reproducing churches. Absolutely. And one should question whether you are really a church, even if you have a preaching of the word, the sacrament and discipline, if you're not engaged in church. As few can do, Alan Hirsch can overstate something (laughs) and make it sound believable. With a great accent. So, Yeah, with a wonderful accent. But uh, his question is certainly the right question. How can we claim to be followers of Christ and not be wanting to reach the world with the gospel. Okay, so you do the first church in Columbia. Yeah. Is it still going? It is. Yeah, they're like three times as big as us. We're about 1,000, and they're about 3,000 people. And they have an amazing college ministry, which is what we were hoping for all along. Now, I hear you in your church planting spiel, circuit, leadership. I don't mean to belittle it, but nope, not you at helped all. me learn the language of right. participate as a planter, a patron, or a partner. So right. in that situation, were y'all patron? So we were, it's parent, partner, uh, or patron. So we, parent, were the, we were the parent church. But you wrote a check. We did write a check, but we also recruited the church planter. Uh, we made sure that, that they had assessment. We made sure that they had training. And then we walked alongside them. And t- they are session they they were responsible to report to our session okay. until they became a localized congregation. Okay, so, yeah, and that was they were up and running in a year and a half. I mean, we we were so blessed to have uh, Dave Cover and Keith Simon as the two guys that planted that church. Sure. It, they they were just the right people at the right time. Now, um, Green Tree was a presbytery plant. Yes, but in that example, it was a mother daughter. That's parent. that's how all of our church plants have been that have been in our region. They've all been parent. My former denominational experience, Presbytery plants were not healthy and well done. Would you say that it's not the best model? Well, what I would say is the broader the leadership is dispersed, the harder it is for real good accountability and healthy boundaries. Uh, I would have my Presbytery representative call me on Thursday night before a Friday Presbytery and ask me for my report. I could have walked away with the piggyback. I I could have been guilty of all kinds of inappropriate behavior because there really wasn't someone with whom I was connected. And by God's grace, because I'm just as good a sinner as anybody else, we we didn't have any of those kinds of missteps. Mm -hmm. God's protected me in in beautiful ways and wonderful ways over the years. Uh, But we don't want to assume (laughs) that that's the best way to do things. And Mm -hmm. so we do have a, a much greater respect for and practice of connectionalism with with our church planters. That's great. All right, friends, you're listening to Church Pivot, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Case Thorpe here with Tom Ricks, and we're going to take a quick break and be right back in a moment. Okay, we're back, and I am joined with Tom Ricks, pastor at Green Tree Church outside of St. Louis, team leader for the EPC's church planting team. So Tom, you were telling us about that first church plant in Columbia. Then you had four more afterwards. Yes. Now, Mike Moses, your Mm -hmm. partner in crime. Yes. um, I heard him say a statistic recently, and this really got my attention and helped me make sure I got this right. I was with y'all in Colorado Springs for the church planters retreat, which was fantastic. And um, I believe he said that when um, a, a church plants a church, that statistics show the 
mother church grows by 10% in the next two years yes. on average. On average. That's impressive. Yeah. We, we've beaten all of those averages. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, walk me through the... And we didn't try to beat those averages. That speaks to God's faithfulness mm-hmm. and God's goodness. So going back to, to um, our church plant in Columbia, the crossing, our budget a year later had... Uh, almost $200,000 in it. So God provided the funding for us. Um, every time we've planted a church where all the other churches where we send people and we send financial resources, we send both. Uh, every time we've done that, we've grown. So our next church plant, for example, was in a, in a neighboring community called Webster Groves. And Kirkwood and Webster Groves have had this friendly football rivalry for over 100 years. The two high school teams play on Thanksgiving and it's a really cool tradition. But we had a big group of folks coming from Webster over to, over to Green Tree because they didn't have anything like that in Webster. Mm-hmm. And how, so how far away? About four miles, okay. not very far at all. It's really, there's only one little town, Glendale between Kirkwood and Webster. And so we started talking and praying and saying, do you guys want to do this in Webster? And the more we thought about it, the more we prayed, everybody said, yeah, this would be a good idea. So at the time we were about 200 people about 60 of those folks were from Webster. So we hived off 60 of our members. Wow. Along, Almost half. And then we went out and hired a church planting pastor. Got this in, was how many years after Columbia? This was two years after Columbia. Okay. So it was 2003, 2004, right around in there. Okay. Um, hired a, a, at that time an unknown guy named Scott Sauls to come and be our, come and be our church planting. Who's that? Yeah, who's who's that guy uh, to be our church planting pastor for our church in Webster Groves? And so we lost uh, over a third of our folks. Uh, let me put it differently: we invested a third yes, of our folks yes. uh, and uh, paid for Scott's salary for a couple of years mm-hmm. and helped them get on their feet. And within six months, those sixty people had been replaced. We were. We were just humming right along, and it's all God. <laughs> God blesses His people when we follow Him. Sure, it's not a material blessing. It's not a it, there. There's no um, guarantee that that God's going to you know write a big check. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. point is, if we're trying to grow the gospel, all that means is that we're following what Jesus is intending to do anyway. And so Jesus is going to grow His kingdom in us and through us, and we just need to trust and we just need to, to follow Him. Now, I would venture to guess that the discipleship going on at a church that successfully plants five churches is also a discipleship that helps people share the gospel themselves and live missionally. And that spirit, that environment helps to see that your people are out there sharing the gospel themselves, that therefore the home church reaps the benefits of that. I think that's true, although I will say that um, what's most important in becoming a church planting church is having leadership that's committed. Mm. The rank and file of a local church is not necessarily involved in the in the decision making process, okay. uh, and are not necessarily involved uh, in going. It might not be their community. It might not be their their neighborhood where we're planting, but they have to be supportive of it spiritually. Mm. Uh, they have to be willing to pray for it and financially. Uh, and financially, that's exactly right. And so there is a sense of discipleship there in that our people are, are hearing the vision, they're, they're hearing the, the priority, and they are endorsing it, and they are supporting it. Mm-hmm. And, and there, are, there are ripple effects. One of those ripple effects is people are saying, 
you know, I need to be telling my friends, if Green Tree's planting a community, you know, if, if Green Tree's taking people and going to reach people, as an individual, I need to be trying to reach the individuals in my life. So there's definitely a teaching opportunity and a spiritual growth opportunity there that, that's very closely mm -hmm. connected. Now, would you say that um, because y'all have invested and been so successful in church planning that a traditional looking local or global mission program might be not as strong? Our missions decision was made at the same time that our church planting decision was made. And so we said at the outset, we're going to tithe 10% to missions and they are ministries that have nothing to do with our church planting. Mm. Now they can be local, so okay. we support Young Life. A lot of churches okay. uh, would do that. Poverty uh, programs. Exactly, and then nationally and then globally as well. We have a couple of EPC partners that we, that we work with around the world. And so uh, we made that commitment from day one. If we weren't church planting, could we maybe invest a little more globally? Sure, that's, that's probably true. But I think if you look at what we're investing in church planting and what that does for overall budget, it moves it moves that number up. But your church planting investments were above and beyond the. 10%. That's correct. That's correct. And so I imagine you um, have been lean on a staffing end. Uh, as I know, church budget something's got to give. So what gave for us was not so much staffing as it was facility. Mm. So we spent our first sixteen years in a middle school. Okay. And yeah, we decided that we were going to invest in church planting and that we weren't going to cannibalize our staff to do that, uh, but that we would be patient and wait longer than most un until the Lord provided uh, a place for us to have a permanent home. And the other part of that was we wanted to be in, in the heart of Kirkwood. And Kirkwood's an old community as far as St. Louis is concerned. It's been around since the 1850s, so there's not a ton of property. You've been Rick's there for 100 years. <laughs> That's exactly right. But there's not a ton of property in downtown Kirkwood. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Lord provided for us, and 16 years into our, our ministry, we were able to move into a building. But for that other amount of time, all the money that we were spending on you know less in rent and less in an office space we we're able to invest in church planting okay and then give us a quick summary of the other three plants uh, our next plant after Webster was I got to think about it's like your kids and grandkids trying to remember what order they <laughs> they great they, problem to have. they came in I hope uh, <laughs> for the day when our church planters struggle at remembering all the churches they well if my guys are listening they might get mad at me if I get it out of order but the next church plant was uh, Mike Workheiser and Phil Woods planted City Church which is in the Lafayette Square neighborhood in downtown St. Louis okay. Uh, that was in, I want to say, 2009. Um, right after the recession. Right after the recession. And we invested uh, about $425,000 over five years mm -hmm. in that church plant. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in an area of St. Louis that was just coming coming back, so to speak. Uh, they're, they're doing well. Phil has gone on to another call, but Mike is there, and that, that church is, is still doing very well. Mm -hmm. uh, after City Church, um, I feel like I'm, I'm missing somebody. Webster, let's see, Columbia, Webster Grove, City Church. Uh, Brian Roskin uh, has planted a church in St. Charles, Missouri, which is a western suburb is, of, of St. Hill, Louis. No, the Boot Hill's down by Memphis. Okay. We, nobody from Missouri. I will. have preached at Kennett Presbyterian <laughs> sure. Church. All right, I know, right? Dear buddy is. of mine. Yep. Yep. 
Yep, that's a few hours down the road. Well, they tried to get me to come, <laughs> and they were dear folks. But they my wife are. said, there is no Starbucks here. That's right. <laughs> Probably not for 80 miles in any direction. Okay, so St. Charles. Uh, so St. Charles, which uh, the folks in St. Charles like to say they're from St. Charles, not from St. Louis. So oh, I want to honor that. Okay. So at St. Charles out in West uh, County, we uh, planted there with Brian Roskin. They're going to become a localized congregation this spring. Uh, and then we are currently working on our next church plant, which is going to be in Ferguson, Missouri, with uh, our first uh, African-American church planting pastor, a guy named Sean Boone, who goes by the name of Boone. Okay. And we're in the process of coordinating his launch team, finishing his seminary experience, and we'll be launching that uh, about a year from now. Mm, mm. Uh, so we're in the prep stage right now. And then we've invested heavily in a church plant in Boulder, Colorado, and in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, I mean, just amazing success. By uh, God's grace, yes. <laughs> tell, me, tell us uh, a story of, of not such great success or a moment of failure or a big screw. You want, you want failure? You want epic failure. I, I've, I've got them all. So uh, epic failure, and I'll leave, I'll leave the names out. When I uh, was first branching out beyond just green tree in church planting when my presbytery had asked me to help do some work in church planting. Uh, we had targeted a university town in Illinois. Missouri and Illinois were in the same presbytery in those days in the EPC. And I, and I recruited uh, a couple to go and plant in this community. Uh, it was a college town and they had college ministry in their background. Uh, I thought it was going to be a perfect fit, but in those days I was still not uh, as versed as I am now on doing my background and making sure that people are really qualified. So there was no moral failure. There was no, sure. there was nothing, you know, corrupt about yeah. this, but it just was not a good fit. And I was not hands-on as I should have been. I would talk to them about every two months. I'd check mm -hmm. in with them. Mm -hmm. They painted a very rosy picture. And then they called me about two years into it. The, the pastor, planting pastor called me about two years into it and said, mm out of the blue, we have a catastrophe on our hands. This is a disaster. And it was every bit as much my responsibility as it was there because I didn't, I didn't connect with them. We're talking about connectionalism. I was not as connected with them as I should have been. I didn't do my homework on the front end, which is if there's one key in church planting, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that God can do anything through anybody. I mean, he's, he's worked through me. But the key to successful church planting from the human side of the equation is getting the right person leadership 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 sure. and that was a bad fit and so we we worked at it for about 18 months which was probably 17 months too long mm -hmm. and then we we shut it down wow well so the, i want to shift now from your story to now your leadership in the epc yeah sure and you you said there the the essential component of church uh, church planter assessment and so I've gotten to get to know a little bit of our assessment mechanisms and tools and the pipeline. Right. Uh, begin there, and I just ultimately want you to describe for us what does EPC church planting look like right now? Uh, boy, that's a broad question. So um, let me talk a little bit about my team, if that's okay, and, yeah. and, and what we're doing. So, uh, and then if, I don't, if I'm not answering specifically, just cut me off and I'll, and I'll switch gears. Um, 
our team has always taken the perspective that we want to help churches plant churches or help networks or help presbyteries plant churches. That mm -hmm. church planting is very much a local endeavor. It's not a national endeavor. Y'all don't plant churches. We do not plant churches. We help others plant churches. That is our, our goal. And we've actually said as a team that our goal as a team is not that we would plant X number of churches, but that every church in the EPC would be involved in some level as in planting churches. Mm -hmm. So we could have, um, today we have 45, 46 active church plants around the country, which is a wonderful wow. number. I don't think most people realize that. But we only have about 60% of our churches involved in helping plant churches. So for us, that's not a failure. It just says there's more work to be done. And they're involved in one of those three ways, parent. Parent, partner, partner painter. So painter. parent is we say, we're going to plant a church. We're going to do it. We're going to do it all with our resources. We're going to we're going to recruit the church plants and we're going to have at it. Okay. A partner may be a group of churches. Uh, they may form a network and say, you know, individually, we may not be able to do this, but four or five of us together could. And so we want to be a partner okay. uh, of church planting. Uh, the other is being a patron, which is a, a church that says at this point in our uh, life, we're not actively planting. It may be that we're not in an area uh, where planting is going to be uh, easy for us. So we need to take more time to prepare for that. But we want to invest. We want to give. And they'll call us and say, how can, how can we help support a particular church plant or church planting in general? So our leadership team has said, we, we want every EPC church. Maybe, maybe there's 100 EPC churches out there that can give very little, but they could pray every Sunday for a mm -hmm. church planter. Mm -hmm. Good what any way that people will invest in church planting is what we're excited about. So that patron role is we at First Pres Orlando have primarily done. Yes. And um, people within our church, others in the denomination have said, oh, y'all should plant one. And I don't think from the inside looking out, we're particularly gifted or skilled in that direction. Right. So uh, should I feel bad that Absolute, we're patrons? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's like saying should, you know, I'm, I'm the hand of the body. Should I feel bad that I'm not an eye? I mean, that goes against scripture. Not every, if everybody in the EPC were hyper church planting, where would our missionaries be? Where would our, where would our care for the poor be? Where would our, our love and compassion for the people that are hurting be? Uh, it, this, is, this is the body of Christ. My particular part in the body of Christ is to champion church planting. And every church should be involved in church planting, but it's not that every church should be a church planting sure. church until they're ready to do that, until well, God so, calls them. And my desire is to challenge everybody listening right now, which one are you? And if right. you aren't one of those three, patron, parent, partner, go become one, Right. figure it out. Go ask your pastor. If you're not the pastor, figure that out. Okay. So you 46 ish church right. plants. Talk to me about the assessment pieces and the right. networks. So what we do is we help facilitate whether it's a network or whether it's a presbytery or an individual church. And part of that is the church planter pipeline. So we are always looking for the next generation of church planters. We EPC doesn't have a seminary, but we have folks that have relationships. I have relationships at Covenant Seminary. Mike Moses is uh, on the on the board at the Gordon Conwell branch in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have really close relationships with Reform Seminary, uh, both here and in Jackson. And, uh, and I'm always and, watching at Orlando. A, absolutely. So uh, we're always trying to cultivate those types of relationships because that's one of the biggest challenges, finding 
the right folks who are gifted by God to do this. The assessment aspect is wanting to make sure, again, that we do the hard work on the front end, that we uh, vet people very, very well, that we that we spend time asking the, the, the important questions. If through an assessment, um, which is a week-long experience, we get feedback that a person needs some help in a certain area, we read the assessment and uh, even if they're qualified, they may be qualified, but they need to do some work in their marriage or they need to do some work in their preaching skills, whatever it may be. Sure. Or we're going to, yeah, we're going to make sure we walk alongside them and that they're, whether it's their network or whether they have a coach or they're in our church planting cohort, they're cared for well. So the assessment is an absolutely vital tool because it helps us know yeah. where, where are we starting? Cause everybody starts in a little bit different place. What percentage would you say of individuals that come to you starting the process end up being told there's another call well i do a lot of screening myself when i get calls from from folks who want to be church planters or think they want to be church planters i'll answer anybody's phone call and i'll absolutely uh talk with them and investigate with them but but just as in any other occupation you can tell if you've done it long enough you can tell pretty quickly if a person has the right mindset, if the person has the right gifting for church planting. And so I'm not bashful about, about encouraging folks to go in a different direction if I think it's not a good fit. For one specific reason, I don't want to put somebody in a job that they're not equipped for, especially sure. church planting, because it it's not harder, but it's a different kind of heart, and it can be very isolating. I would much rather have a person say, I just don't like that Tom Ricks. He told me I couldn't be a church planter. I can, I can go to sleep at night with that. I can't go to sleep at night if I go, you know, I, th I thought I should have told that person no. And then five years later, their marriage is destroyed and their, their, their kids are a mess because we didn't do our job on the front end. So we, we encourage folks uh, to use the assessment tool. There's a follow-up you can do with a boot camp. Uh, that is out there that's available for folks. That's very helpful. We have cohorts. So we want to make sure that we um, do all we can on the front end to, yeah. to make good, wise decisions because we're asking people to support financially or we're asking the church planter to do a hard job. You want to make sure you try to get the right folks there. So you're talking to somebody. They are expressing interest. What are you looking for? I'm looking for uh, an entrepreneurial spirit. I'm looking for someone who is, their first question isn't, how much money will the EPC give me to plan if I, if I go to plan a church? What's, oh, what's somebody the, would say that what's, to you. what's the budget? Uh, I'm looking for someone with a vision. They have a particular area that they feel called to. Now, they may not have it down to a neighborhood, mm. but they may say, you know what? I went to college in this town. And there was no good church there. And I just, I have a passion for that town. And I have a love to see the gospel come there and make a difference. So they have not only, um, they have not only an excitement about church planting in general and entrepreneurial spirit, but they have a focus on where they want to go. Mm -hmm. And then I'm looking for someone who is, uh, in the right sense of the word, they're somber about it. They understand it's hard, mm -hmm. uh, even though they don't understand everything about it. They're not coming at it saying, Love you know, I've, I've got all the answers, yeah. you know, kind of get, get out of my way and let me do this. Yeah. Because, uh, and there's some of that in church planting anywhere. So when I was a young man, I was that way. And so in my role, you what I, some fire, some what fire I, in the belly. What, yeah, absolutely. So what I say to my guys out of green tree, I'll say, look, let's just be honest with each other. This is like a, a, a parent in a, in a senior in high school relationship. <laughs> the senior in high school knows everything there is to know 
but they still need their parent. And the parent isn't ready to let go of the teenager because they don't think they know everything they should know, but they know they need to let go. It's kind of that rub. But if we can understand that and kind of laugh about it going through it, we'll come out on the other side okay. Oh, that's great. That's great. Networks, tell me about the networks. So networks have uh, have really taken a lot of, gotten a lot of traction in the last few years because uh, there are, our presbyteries are so big geographically in many uh, areas. It's tough to, to plant Presbyterian churches. So uh, a good example of a network would be the Aspen Grove Network in Denver. Uh, they help Shane Sun. Get a shout out to Shane. Uh, they have uh, they've a network that helps uh, plant churches in that part of the country. And not every church in that Presbytery is part of that network, but a, but a good number of them are. There are a group of churches in the um, in the New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama area that formed a Gulf Coast church planting mm-hmm. network a few years ago, and they've planted one church in, in New Orleans so far, and they're talking about another one. Those are all guys that are within, you know, a uh, uh, hundred or so miles of each other that have come together and, and said, we know, want to target this area. They know the relationships. They know where the money is. Exactly. They know what the local issues are. Exactly. So we, we just created a church planting network in St. Louis, the, our St. Louis Regional Church Planting Network, because we want to plant churches in underserved communities in St. Louis. And that's going to take more finances, and it's going to take a lot more growing and knowledge. We don't know how to do this. We have no idea how to plant a church in a poor community. But we have a commitment to do that. It's going to take a group of churches yeah. to pull that one off. Yeah. So that's where the network really comes in handy. I was so impressed going to epc.org slash CPR slash church planting. epc.org slash CPR slash church planting. And just to read down through the church planting networks. Yes. And it really illustrated for me how mature now the structure is in becoming uh, Aspen Grove, Bay Area, Beaver County Church Planting Network, right. Charlotte, right. Detroit area, Detroit, Metro, Gulf Coast, yep. Memphis Church Planting Network, Resurrection, yep. Brooklyn, in yep. New York, St. Louis. Like, if that's up to date, that's impressive. Yeah, that's up to date. It is. And some of those, like Memphis, has been around a long time. Brooklyn has been around quite a while. What Matt Brown and those guys have done up in New York is just really wonderful. Sandy Wilson, my mentor at Lookout Mountain Prez, ended up being the pastor for about 20 years at Second Prez in Memphis. Yeah. And and they've done a lot of church planting work uh, over the years. So um, the network idea, I think, is really gaining traction because uh, a lot of people realize that, you know, it's going to be more effective and it's going to be a little bit easier in the right sense of the word if there are four or five of us partnering in this than maybe if we're trying to go it alone. I found this unique that Southeast Presbytery created a network between some energy between uh, Chattanooga and Knoxville right. and uh, granted them commission status. Yes. Not just committee, but commission to right. hey, they can just have at both it. the responsibility and the authority Go for it. Right. Yeah. Commission status, giving giving them the authority to just, you know, move really makes a big difference. Now, just a few weeks ago, we received a $250,000 anonymous donation. Yes, we did. I that, mean, hallelujah. Yes. Amen. For I, church planting. I've been trying to wipe the smile off my face, but I, but I haven't been able to yet. <laughs> I mean, thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, anonymous donor. Yes. If you happen to be listening. Yes. What a <laughs> tremendous vote of confidence. No, no to question. The, your leadership, to the planting team, to the success thus far. 
I mean, I hope that it solicits, or not solicits, but encourages others to make such an investment, recognizing the momentum here. Uh, what are the thoughts? What are the next steps for that big gift? Well, I, I, I think the first thought was really uh, humble gratitude. You know, when Jeff, uh, Jeremiah, our, our state clerk, when Jeff called me, he said, hey, I, I got to tell you something. Are you sitting down? <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, this can't be good. And boy, was I wrong. Um, but you know, we've been at work on this. My, our team has been at work on this since about uh, the end of 2010, the beginning of 2011. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not an extraordinarily long time. But we've been pouring our heart and soul in, into this. And we've been kind of singing this tune, beating this drum, so to speak, uh, for about 10 years now. Uh, and in every uh, General Assembly and every Presbyterian meeting I've ever been in, every individual church where I've had an opportunity to talk to a session, I've talked about the need to support church planting uh, across the board, not just financially, but but that's part of it. And so when I got this news, I just was, uh, I was, I was blown away. Uh, and I was thankful because it's like, okay, the Lord's moving this forward, yeah. and and thank you, Lord, for that. And yeah, if the if the donors listen, I I tried to get Jeff to give me the name. He wouldn't do it because I <laughs> wanted to write a long thank you note. Uh, but we're we're really uh, grateful for it. And now we gotta we gotta figure out what mm. we're gonna do. So if somebody wants to learn more or participate more, yes, church planning in the EPC, how do they do that? What might the next step be? Uh, the easiest thing to do is to go to our website and uh, the EPC's website and go to church planting. You can find my contact information there. Um, uh, my email is at tom at greentreechurch.com. We had to get .com because somebody else had .org way back in 2000 when we were getting our website going. But tom at greentreechurch.org. I just said it wrong, tom at greentreechurch.com. Um, but there are several other of our team members are listed there. Uh, but the, I think the, the best thing to do is really as a leadership group is to begin praying about it, to begin uh, asking the Lord what he would have you do. And then having confidence because you don't have to figure it all out. Mm. And this is, mm. I'm going to come back to your connectional thing again, mm. because it's so important. Our leadership team has created this service platform yeah. that allows our churches to gain understanding and knowledge and wisdom in church planting within a period of 12 to 18 months, sure. you can be up and running. And so if you're, you can make two big mistakes. One is you can think you can do something when you don't know what you're doing. Mm. And I know I've, I've talked to friends of mine who said, oh, we can be a church planting church. And I've said, you don't have a clue. Yeah. You, you don't know what you're talking about. And just because God's blessed you in certain areas doesn't mean that mm. you know church planting. So be coachable. Mm. But know that all that all those resources are there. They've been created, and we can walk you through that process um, in a way that is life giving for your sure. for your congregation. I'm going to Omaha in a couple of days. I'm leaving. I'm in Orlando. It's warm. I wish I could <laughs> stay here. I'm going to Omaha to meet with one of our. Uh, former church plants, Three Timbers, and Jeff Ryan, who Jeff was Ryan. here in uh, Orlando for he years, right? My children there, in soccer. There you go. Yeah. So I'm going to be with Jeff for a couple of days, and with his help, with his elders, is there kind of looking at what are some of our next steps now that we're a, a, a localized church? And part of that conversation is where could we be church planting? And so the resources are there. You don't need to know it. You just got to be willing. Now, I joined you for the church planners retreat. Yes, awesome. thank you. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. It's because Jim Holland can flat out cook. I mean, <laughs> that, that, the fellowship is great. I was correct that, I mean, what did you say, a third 
of our participants were African-American or Hispanic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And At that least. That is thrilling. Yes, yes. So about five years ago, real quickly, uh, we made a commitment that we wanted to be a church planting uh, service that helped plant churches in underserved areas and in unreached areas. And so we uh, we weren't at all sure what we were getting ourselves into, but we had some really wonderful people helping us. Uh, Pastor at Hope Church in Memphis, Rufus Smith, has been an incredible asset for us. Uh, Michael Davis out of Memphis has been an incredible asset for us. And we're taking baby steps, mm -hmm. but we are beginning to get a little bit of traction there. We're really excited about it. We EPC church planning team is taking baby steps, but you yeah. Green Tree are doing this with Boone. We are. We so are we're learning and, and, hands on. Yeah, and I would say in the the two years that I've interacted with Boone, I have learned more about what I don't know about church planting mm -hmm. than any other experience uh, in church planting here to date. This is not going to be simple. It's not going to be easy from a human perspective, but I believe it's God ordained. I believe that God mm -hmm. is calling with conviction mm -hmm. to the fact that we have not been faithful to share the gospel with every part of our, yeah. of, of our culture. Yeah. And we need, we need to listen to that call. We need to hear that correction, and we need to begin uh, intentionally moving in that direction. Richard Reeves in Memphis yeah. at Downtown Church I yes. has taught yes. me in so much of that direction and how Second Prez and Hope have had such yep. great influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled that this year on the national leadership team, we have Dave Strunk, church right. planter in Knoxville, Knoxville. Yep. and uh, Brian Evans. Right. African-American. 5.7 in East Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, one of the toughest neighborhoods in East Detroit. You talk to Brian, and Brian, Brian used to be a gangbanger. You look at Brian and go, Brian, <laughs> come on. He's so sweet, and oh. he's so gentle, and he's so kind. He's very Presbyterian and, pastor. And, and very Presbyterian. Then he tells me stories about, about growing up, and I'm wow. just like, wow, that's amazing. So, but uh, Brian's an incredible man. If, if, if you're listening to this and you want to know what's the first thing I could do mm -hmm. to support EPC church planting, mm -hmm. send, send 5.7 Brian Evans, send them a check, mm -hmm. help them do what they're doing in downtown Detroit. It is, his vision is incredible. And getting wins there, help yep. us learn and absolutely, get elsewhere. absolutely. Last it's better to fail with your friends than with, with your enemies. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Now, also, someone could come to the Church Planters Retreat because you now have sure. a track sure. for teaching senior pastors right. that might be interested in doing this. Right. So all you senior pastors out there, all you lead pastors, uh, come spend a couple days with us in Colorado Springs Beautiful. in October. It's gorgeous. What's the resort? Uh, Cheyenne Mountain Resort. Yes, very nice. Uh, now, we the Lord dialed up some really great weather last year. Yeah. You know, could snow on us next year. But we have intentionally put in a track so that you can come and spend two days and get a quick, you know, introduction to church planting 101. So for that church out there that says, we'd like to get going, we just don't know what we're doing. Sure. What you're doing to come to Colorado. That's what you do. And then we'll help you figure out what those steps are. Well, Mike Moses led along with Sandy Wilson. Sandy Wilson, and right. Mike, I learned, teaches yes. at a seminary in church planting. So That's we've right. got a lot of that content. We have a lot of expertise in the EPC. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Tom, thank you. Oh, my goodness. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for letting me be here. Uh, I really uh, am thankful for the support that the EPC has given church planting. Mm. And I appreciate your support as a moderator. Well, I hope we talk again in a few years and we're pushing uh, 60, 70, 80 <laughs> church plants. I know we can do it. We're excited about that, which means only one thing. It's time to go have a cigar. Hey. <laughs>
Dude, I could wrap this up and let's go do that. There you go. Okay. Well, friends, uh, that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining me. So I hit the ground traveling this week for my spring trips as moderator. I'll be hitting some Presbytery meetings, going to the Mid-Atlantic Presbytery, where they're not splitting, they're multiplying. <laughs> I've learned that. Very exciting. They're going into three smaller presbyteries. Um, I'm going to be with Tom and the other EPC church planting team leaders in Austin, Texas. They're going to meet at Lazarus Brewery, a brewery run by an EPC teaching elder in which the church meets. That's it's right. Christian Kreider's uh, home church so cool. model in Austin, Texas. Next time you're in Austin, go to Lazarus Brewing Lazarus Company. Brewery. It, it, it doubles as a church. Now, do you drink beer during worship? I can't comment on yeah, that. Yeah, no comment. Okay. Where's the sensors when you need them? Uh, I'm going to hit uh, maybe Ireland, but certainly Scotland in May for the Free Church of Scotland General Assembly. So just, I would ask for your prayers for traveling mercies. Now in April, look for the next Church Pivot podcast when I'll be interviewing three millennial teaching elders in our denomination. And I'm just hungry to hear their take on uh, what they think it will look like for the church to pivot and be successful in gospel ministry in this next century. So many thanks to New City Church, Brandon Queen and Brian Smith for getting this podcast to you. I am Case Thorpe and on behalf of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, uh, thanks for listening and I will see you on the next episode of Church Pivot. Keep watch for the next Church Pivot blog posting in March and another Church Pivot podcast in April. We would encourage you to share this conversation with your elders and your church and use it as a tool to help form them for dynamic ministry that is pivoting toward the future Christ has for us. I am Brandon Queen, and thank you for joining us for Church Pivot, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church.